Welcome to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief, a monthly recap of the macroeconomic and market environment. Well, greetings and welcome to the Investment Strategy Brief podcast. This is Michael O'Keefe, Stiefel's Chief Investment Officer. Our primary topic for this episode is the concept of fiscal transition, uh, really related to the higher rate environment. But before we get there, I want to take a couple of minutes and really speak to the situation in the Middle East, uh, the very unfortunate sort of tragic Israel-Hamas war. And uh, so also what we see in terms of scenarios of what might occur, uh, how things are unfolding. Um, yeah, obviously the human impact has been horrible. Uh, and we also have to look at the market impact and how things are influencing the market. So when we um, evaluate things like this, you know, we're looking through a lens that we call our geopolitical risk dashboard. So we identify all kinds of different things around the world that might lead to trouble. Uh, so you imagine we've got a lot of things related to China, the U.S.-China competition, South China Sea, and tensions there um, uh, as examples. But we, we have had for a number of years the concept of Middle East tensions and leading to problems like we're seeing uh, in Israel. And so, you know, obviously it's just a horrible uh, thing uh, that Hamas attacked Israel, and now we're watching as uh, Israel uh, responds and, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, various countries and, if you will, world powers will align. Um, but when we look at the greatest risks related to this situation, um, it does uh, essentially relate to uh, the, the war expanding. And so our scenarios are kind of framed around that. Um, the first scenario which we see is most likely is that the war will stay focused and limited uh, between Israel and Gaza, uh, uh, within Gaza, with Hamas. And, um, and that, you know, has had, uh, I'll call it minimal market impact. We've talked about it before. Um, maybe a little bit of a flight to quality into treasury bonds that's um, maybe brought uh, rates down just a little bit, that one influence. Um, but not a lot. Um, and then, of course, the Israel stock market itself is down a bit. But otherwise, you know, markets uh, around the world are kind of uh, not influenced by the situation. Uh, as it relates to this um, situation uh, uh, expanding, you know, sort of the s second scenario we sort of tagged as a multi-front war. And, uh, and so that would involve Hezbollah, uh, getting getting um, uh, into it a bit more with Israel, kind of taking advantage of the situation. Um, uh, once again, if that if it stays limited to that, we that won't be a good thing. We, maybe there's a little bit of a, a market reaction, but not much of one in our view. Uh, the the next scenario is a little bit more uh, impactful, and that is if Iran is either proven to have been involved or gets involved, um, that obviously broadens things out. And we know, for example, if that occurs, that we'll see um, some challenges with oil supply. 
and uh, both in terms of the movement of oil and Iran's uh, production itself uh, being at risk. And that could lead to higher oil prices, higher inflation, uh, greater forces sort of pushing things towards recession. And uh, the market impact uh, could be more meaningful, a sell-off in stocks uh, and that risk-off sentiment increasing more significantly. And then the f- and, and we see the, uh, the Hezbollah scenario too, the Hezbollah involvement somewhat likely. We see the Iran formal involvement, very small likelihood of that. And then the most remote scenario we've been sort of framing up is uh, world powers getting um, involved. Uh, so for example, uh, uh, either the US and or China stepping in and getting involved in some form if this uh, war expands a bit. And that obviously is is quite a negative scenario. We don't see it unfolding. We attribute a very low probability to that, but something in the work we do assessing risk that we have to be mindful of. As it relates to investment implications, I think the takeaway is this is another example where we've uh, sort of intentionally gone neutral on a lot of our views, uh, but then with a leaning towards quality. Um, and, and you know, bottom line is it's sort of like there's so much uncertainty that taking um, uh, material sort of leanings or bets um, are not easy to do in that kind of environment. But it, it, with all this uncertainty and worry out there, the idea of focusing on quality, both in equities and bonds, we think is a reasonable thing to do. Anyway, so we just wanted to cover uh, the the war and sort of the potential scenarios. Um, as it relates to what we've been discussing in the last few episodes, recall that we've had in focus the idea of t- taking a look at the economy, inflation, and markets. And as I mentioned in this um, episode, we really want to get into the this concept of fiscal transition. So just to take a step back, and, and we've expanded a little bit of work I think we introduced last time, uh, is, is to take a look at basically the increase in debt. And um, when we think of it in the, as it relates to the interest rate environments, rates fell um, in response to and after the, uh, the financial crisis. And, and so it just it made sense, right, for people to say, oh, if rates are lower, we're going to borrow more. And so think of it as, um, as three different, in some ways, four different buckets that we're evaluating. The first is household debt. Since uh, before the financial crisis, household debt has increased over $5 trillion. When we look at corporate debt, think of it as two buckets for corporate debt. The sort of publicly available debt, uh, so companies uh, issue bonds, go through that whole process, and then the bonds are available both to sell to investors and then trade, and people can buy and sell them. Basically, that uh, bucket of corporate debt, not including financial debt, uh, is up uh, $7 trillion over that same period. Now, we also are seeing a movement where some of the borrowing is going uh, into the private markets. And so uh, there's an estimate that private debt has increased about $1.3 trillion since the financial crisis. But the big whopper, which we all know, is when we look at the federal debt, uh, since uh, the beginning of the financial crisis to date, 
basically it's up uh, $23.4 trillion. So when we add all four of those numbers up, basically that's $37 trillion in, in, in more debt uh, since the financial crisis, $37 trillion. Now, uh, the other thing we've been talking about is this idea that we're in a, a new rate interest rate regime, higher for longer. So for example, if we just track sort of where the 10-year treasury is gone relative to the Fed funds rate, for example, and we go back, oh gosh, let's say to 2015, for example, and we're seeing that 10-year, again, this is in the wake of the financial crisis, uh, well into the wake of the financial crisis, that the rates are sort of bouncing around between 2 and 3%. They're influenced a little bit by Fed policy. The Fed was tightening in 2018, and then into in reaction to the pandemic, they, they eased, they cut rates to near zero. The treasury rates fell down very close to that. And then, especially in anticipation of, and then um, through the action of the Fed, hiking the Fed funds rate, the 10-year treasury as that sort of bellwether market interest rate has just climbed higher and has been basically hovering uh, up in the above four and a half and up close to 5%. And, um, and so that's just a, a level of interest rates we haven't seen uh, since the financial crisis. And in fact, just to give uh, some numbers, um, uh, prior to the financial crisis, uh, for the decade prior, uh, the 10 year averaged 5%. For the decade after the financial crisis, it averaged 2%. During the, ten, the, the pandemic, the 10-year treasury averaged 1.2%. And when we look at the implied interest rates of the future now and into uh, the, um, the future, basically we're seeing interest rates above 4 uh, as high as 5% in terms of that 10-year treasury and where it's expected to be for the next uh, number of years. So the... Um, so I would just say that the um, uh, we're in a new interest rate regime. That's what everybody has been focused on. And I, I want to uh, kind of relate that then to this concept of fiscal transition. And so the idea with this, which we've talked a little bit about before, is when we look at those three major components of the economy, consumers, businesses, and the government, basically each of those segments is, is going to need to go through a transition to handle the higher cost of debt and probably adjust its debt strategy. Um, so when we look at consumers, um, basically interest rates are higher, mortgages, credit cards, you know, borrowing money or, or taking a lease on a car, costs are going up. Uh, on the margin, there will be people that are going to have a hard time dealing with that. We're going to see personal bankruptcies. We're going to see people defaulting uh, and not paying their, their credit cards and that kind of thing. And, you know, I would describe that as incrementally uh, sort of real-time pain. We're going through time. There's people who are experiencing pain, kind of get through it. And, uh, and then when we get to the other side of it, is, I think of it as an environment where the consumers uh, developed a way to be better equipped to manage debt. Same thing with businesses. So businesses, uh, you know, they float their debt. Maybe there was a time when rates were low. They could... Uh, borrow money at a lower rate, now the rates are higher. So when that those bonds come due or if they need to borrow more for other reasons, they're going out to the market, interest rate costs are higher. And it's the same effect. There's basically businesses that maybe aren't quite as strong 
or uh, business ideas that aren't quite as strong that are going to have a harder time because borrowing money is more costly. On the margin, we'll see friction, we'll see pain, potential for bankruptcies, or just businesses not getting launched. And you were kind of go, going through time and experiencing that pain. And so, um, you know, not a good thing, but you think of it as getting through that pain. Maybe bad businesses aren't launched. And we end up kind of in an interesting way in a, a little bit better place. So the fiscal transition for the consumer and, the, and, and businesses is sort of well-defined. And when we get to the other side, uh, we'll go through some pain along the way, get to the other side and be in a, good, in a better spot. The most challenging problem, as I see it, is the government. Um, so basically, we know that the government spends more than it takes in. So we're running deficits. The federal debt has been growing quite significantly. And it's really just not politically appealing to uh, have the government, um, you know, either cut spending or raise taxes more and um, so we're in this weird conundrum where the politicians aren't, aren't really game to do what needs to be done uh, to go through a fiscal transition uh, for the government. And yet it needs to be done. The, the debt is growing uh, quite significantly. And in, in, in our view, basically the, we, the, the path we see uh, going forward with this is it's going to end up having to be the voters uh, seeing this issue and maybe being impacted by this issue um, and and ultimately sort of calling up on uh, their elected representatives to have a greater fiscal focus. Now, obviously, in some ways, the private enterprise may have a role. We know that uh, certain business leaders especially kind of uh, have a lot of influence with the government. They're, they're listened to, if you will, and advisors sometimes and 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 so yeah bottom line is we see in the next decade the need for the government to uh tighten its belt as it relates to fiscal management go through its own fiscal transition and that's going to involve spending less so cutting spending is probably going to involve higher taxes and and um essentially going through that in a way where uh we sort of suffer pain uh, in order to get to the other side of this problem and bring the debt, not only stop deficits, but ultimately bring the, the debt under control. And um, so that's the biggest, uh, the biggest magnitude. It's, it's the, the biggest amount of debt that needs to be dealt with, but also, I would say, um, the most politically unappealing. And so the, the challenge with that is if we don't get to it, uh, where we're going to feel some pain along the way, higher taxes, less spending, maybe a slower economy, um, then uh, the, the problem gets bigger. And ultimately, when we go through the pain to get it corrected, it'll be greater pain. So that's, um, that's sort of the thing we see in focus. I, I'm going to be using this phrase fiscal transition for a while here in the sense that I think it's something that will come into focus for consumers and businesses because they have to. I think it will ultimately have to come into focus for the government and that that may well happen through uh, a call from uh, basically voters to say, hey, we want people who are going to focus on this and, and help uh, strengthen basically the, the situation. So uh, with that, let me just touch on a, a handful of things as it relates to the environment. Uh, the consumer in the near term remains pretty positive in terms of things like retail sales. 
uh, and the labor market remains pretty strong. And so the, those are two variables that are leading into a view that uh, the, the third quarter and into the fourth quarter that the U.S. economy has remained strong. The consensus view for third quarter is now at 3% annualized. That's a big number. But as we've talked about all along uh, with the idea that with he, these higher rates and the lag effect of those coming uh, into influence the economy, basically we're seeing an expectation that the economy is going to slow significantly. But uh, a number of firms, more and more, are backing off of the idea of uh, a recession in the next, call it th three to four quarters. And so uh, that that's kind of a shift um, that continues. And our view continues to be that we're going to get down towards a 0% growth rate. If we could flip into a recession, but we don't see it as being severe, absent some of these other kind of uh, activities around the world. Uh, but again, something that we're focusing on and yet, you know, the consumer remains uh, resilient. Now, there's been so much focus on Fed policy, and that's really triggered by uh, still elevated inflation. So we know that uh, the most recent prints for both the consumer and producer price indexes uh, came out uh, high, higher. They kind of both moved higher, uh, uh, well above sort of the annualized Fed 2% target. Um, and the culprits basically were energy, which tends to be volatile, uh, but also housing. And uh, that housing number, which is one everyone's waiting to come down, uh, just sort of reaffirmed up uh, in this last print. And so the inflation remains high. With that said, the Fed's hiked rates quite a lot. And they've been out talking about not so much their Fed funds rate, but they've been talking about market rates, that if market rates stay elevated, then that's the effect of tightening and they don't actually have to do more with their Fed funds rate. So the consensus view for sure in the upcoming meetings uh, is that the Fed won't uh, hike rates further, but they're going to keep rates where they are and let this lag effect kick in and essentially slow the economy, but, but uh, by doing so, cool inflation. Now, with all that's going on, <clears throat> this higher rate regime and sort of investors recognizing that, you know, a little bit the troubles in the Middle East, um, and, um, and, and I would say sort of worries about earnings, um, essentially we've seen the equity market um, uh, roll over. So think of it as the market has gone lower. For example, since the middle of the year, it's uh, the S&P 500, for example, is down about 2%. And so if we look at various data and charts, basically things qu aren't quite as firm. They, we've given back some of the gains uh, that were experienced in the, in the, earlier in the year. And, uh, and so, you know, I would say, you know, stocks are kind of at this holding pattern and are a little bit sensitive to different things that are going on. Now, when we look at valuation on a cap-weighted basis, as we've talked about before, uh, the uh, multiples, the price-to-earnings multiples are showing the market's a little overvalued. But when we look equal-weighted, um, so across all the companies, uh, giving them each an equal uh, sort of view, uh, stocks remain actually a little bit at a discount. So all that's really saying is that the strength of the market this year um, has been focused to a good degree on those bigger tech, uh, bigger companies, especially tech companies, um, and so, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about how most of the time when the market's down in the first half, momentum carries through when it's up in the second half. But 
here in uh, 2023. That first up was up strong. We've given some back uh, since the uh, end of the second quarter. And so we'll have to keep an eye on that. With that said, I mentioned earnings. The view is that earnings will continue to grow next year. And, uh, and so we'll see how that unfolds. But uh, an important variable, if you will, as it relates to um, uh, equity investing. Now, um, final comment on the markets um, is just to talk a little bit about the bond market. Basically, we know that yields are up. So we've seen a lot of activity with people buying uh, bonds across all categories, municipal bonds, treasury bonds, more diversified strategies, um, mortgage-backed securities, for example. And the yields are higher, so they they're, these are attractive, and certainly even cash, money market funds, treasury bills, et cetera. The yields are up, you know, again, depending on what you look at, in the 5 to kind of 7% uh, range, uh, and even higher for what are called high-yield bonds in the corporate bond market. And, you know, the bottom line is that that, that is an appealing level. Uh, people are putting money to work. It's certainly reasonable to include bonds in a diversified portfolio, However, we are watching credit spreads, and while in the space of uh, corporate bonds, spreads are pretty well behaved. In fact, those spreads, it's the extra yield you get paid beyond the risk of a treasury bond to take on corporate risk. Basically, they're sitting right on top of the five-year average, which is good. It's, it's a reasonable number. It's, if, it gets, if it gets too big, that's a signal that there's some worry and in fact, we are seeing a, uh, levels a little bit above long-term averages in the securitized space. I think com commercial mortgage-backed securities, uh, residential mortgage-backed securities, and what are called asset-backed securities. And what that's really signaling is this whole idea that with higher rates, um, things like mortgages, uh, mortgages and debt against uh, commercial real estate, that's all going to come under some pressure. And so the market's starting to signal, hey, we should expect some pressure. Now, uh, just to close out, I'll just uh, comment on a few uh, things quickly in terms of looking forward. We've talked a lot about signposts around the Fed policy, consumer confidence, labor market cooling a little bit, sh shelter costs uh, stabilizing, and that didn't quite happen, um, and then earnings holding up. And, you know, as we've talked about before, through the year we've seen a lot of these signposts hit, but more to come most notably earnings and wanting to see further cooling, if you will, or settling of the uh, shelter cost component of inflation. Um, and we'll be watching things through the balance of the year and into next year, Fed meetings, inflation reports, retail sales reports, all that kind of thing. And then, of course, the, um, the, the, uh, uh, the, the various hotspots around the world um, we, we do like to always remind folks that we do take a long-term approach. So we get into various investment themes around, uh, techn technology, innovation, strategic resources, demographics, how the consumer acts, uh, and then competition around the world. Uh, and I'd like to just point out, uh, stiefelinsights.com is a great place to go, uh, to check out this, uh, body of work. So we invite you to do that. Um, this podcast will be listed there, a corresponding video, slide deck. And so just invite uh, people to check out stiefelinsights.com. In any event, that's what we wanted to cover <clears throat> in this episode. 
Uh, so a focus on the Middle East for sure, a focus on fiscal transition for a, a, a good period to come, really. Uh, so thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks for listening to Stiefel's Investment Strategy Brief. Be sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to automatically receive each month's podcast in your feed.